Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording, Angel Sanchez tells us why he had to repeat the eighth grade. I'm telling the story of how I decided to campaign for Ted Cruz. Now I was fucking with you guys. <laughs> all right, now we're all on board. Actually, I have to ask the question. Um, I kind of can't see you guys. A lot of you guys are white. You guys kind of just blend in with the light. So, uh, all right, on a serious note, how many of you guys have ever failed uh, a class or a test, anything like that? Any guys ever failed? Well, uh, this is a story of how I failed eighth grade. I'm not a dummy, trust me. I promise you, I'm not a dummy. Just things happen. So a little background. I was born in 1985 in Brooklyn, New York. Woo, Brooklyn at what? To uh, Nancy Ann Sanchez and some guy named Alex. Uh, I don't really know a lot about Alex because when Nancy found out she was pregnant, she went and told Alex, and the next day Alex was gone with her TV. Um, he was also her drug dealer. Nancy uh, was addicted to crack coca- uh, cocaine. And I was born with a dependency to crack cocaine. You know, just a little taste of the sauce. No, no big deal. But um, either way, I was born um, a relatively happy, happy uh, healthy baby. Nancy did her best. Uh, after I was born, she tried to do her best to stay off of drugs, try to stay clean. But when I was three years old, the Department of Child Protective Services deemed that she was an unfit mother. And I was to be placed in the custody of the state and put into foster home, which is really rough in New York City. But uh, luckily, Nancy is the fifth of seven children. And her oldest sister, um, my Aunt Wilhelmina, and her husband, Ernest, decided to adopt me. Now, um, Wilhelmina and Ernest, or as Willie and Ernie, as they're affectionately called, or I call them mom and dad because that's what they are to me, uh, were uh, 45 and 52 years old, respectively, when they adopted me. They had already raised a 25-year-old and had a 15-year-old that they were raising as well, and now they have a 3-year-old. So much fun for them. Um, but uh, I, words and actions could never explain how much uh, I owe and care and love for them. They are unequivocally my mother and father, their two daughters are, without a question, my sisters, and I'm here today because of them. So even though I was adopted by my aunt and uncle, um, it is required for all foster children when they are fostered, because uh, that's what they are counting them as, to attend therapy once a month session for the foreseeable future, I guess. So I would go to this therapy session and it's, uh, it's a little weird. I was, you know, three years old at a therapy session. And you don't really, you're not, as a little kid, you're not really able to convey traumatic experiences to an adult that you don't really know all that well. You're maybe not even able to convey it to your family members. And uh, so at, you know, four or five years old, you know, in these therapy sessions, I just got in the habit of just telling adults what they wanted to hear. And, you know, um, maybe it's just me, but, you know, when you tell someone what you want to hear, you see a change in their face, and I got used to seeing that. Like, say this sir right here, uh, your glasses frame your face beautifully, and your bone structure is perfect. See, you guys can't tell what his face looks like, but it just changed. 
because people like to hear that. They like to hear what they want to hear. I'm not lying to you. I'm being very serious. <laughs> but their face changed, so I got used to doing it. About the time when I was, uh, so when I was going through all those uh, therapy sessions, Nancy would show up to them. Maybe about every six months or so, so Nancy would show up, and she'd be in and out of drugs, and she'd be getting better. And one month I saw her, and she was pregnant, and then a couple months or whatever later, she showed up with a baby boy, my uh, little brother Kenneth. No, Richard, sorry. Little brother Richard. There's a lot of us, a lot of huge family. So showed up with Richard. You know, like I said, she was still trying to stay off drugs, trying to, you know, be better. Sometimes she would come by my parents' house, and she would take me out to eat, or they'd let her take me to a carnival. But really, that's as far as our relationship had gone. But as a kid, you're not really worried about that. You see your mom, you're just happy to see her. You know, one day she's there, one day she's not. It's really kind of passing and going. So when I turned eight years old, my father, remember he was old when he, you know, they adopted me. He's super old now, like civil rights old. He, um, <laughs> he had retired uh, from the city of New York, and him and Wilhelmina decided they were going to move to Virginia Beach and uh, obviously bring me with them. It would have been weird if they had just left me in New York. Weird. So they brought me to Virginia Beach. They, you know, told Nancy about it, and she, you know, she obviously couldn't do anything about it. So she promised she would stay in touch, and you know, she did. She did the best she could. Um, she would call on birthdays and holidays, but besides that, that's really as much as I got from her. And I was okay, but I was too busy, preoccupied, you know, adjusting to Virginia Beach. I, from Brooklyn, New York, to Virginia Beach, it's a lot different. I was one of two black kids in my class. I was very sensitive and chubby. Still am. Not much change from that point in time. So uh, I would keep in touch with her, and eventually got to the point where it was my 10th birthday, and Nancy came to visit. Now, she had also came with a newborn child, uh, another kid. This is my little brother, Kenny. So I mentioned Richard earlier. This is Kenny now. So she came with Kenny. It was my 10th birthday, and I remember being super excited, like, telling people, like, oh, I got two moms. You only got one. You suck. I got two moms. Really, I, I figured that was, you know, awesome. I had two moms and everybody didn't. Well, some people did. But I didn't really know who. And uh, she came, and I remember that being one of the best times of, like, my childhood. See, like I said, I, I kept a lot of things inside and told people what they wanted to hear, and very rarely would I, you know, let out, even though I was very sensitive, but I was more so sensitive to things around me as opposed to, like, myself. I really excited her being down there and one of the best moments I had. Now, while she was there, uh, there was talk about maybe me coming and spending uh, the summer, my summer vacation with her. She had finally maybe established herself a home. She'd uh, married this guy named Richard, who she had been with uh, off and on, like when I was a little kid. Uh, he was also a recovering addict, and they had, you know, got, had been clean for a little bit and established themselves a home and got themselves jobs and you know, I talked and pleaded with my mom and dad, like, please let me go spend the summer up there. Please let me go spend the summer. And eventually they relented. As an adult, I learned from my father that they didn't want me to go up there because of her drug issues. They're mostly afraid of losing me. They're afraid that she may have gotten a lawyer and then I would never have came back, which is understandable as a parent to have to go through. So it comes time for me to go up there it's the summer before I turned 13 years old, so right before eighth grade. I go up there, 
Uh, the plan is for me to stay with my oldest sister, Christine. She lives in Brooklyn. I'll stay with her for two weeks, just kind of get acclimated to the city, used to seeing bums and crackheads and all that stuff. And then I would move in with uh, my mother, Nancy, and now with her, now she has two kids with her, so it's Kenny and Onyx, who's now newborn. I would move in with them and spend the rest of the summer in far Rockaway, Queens, which is sort of like Ocean View. It's really sort of similar like Ocean View. I'm not even joking around. And I would move in with them, and that was an amazing experience. I got to connect with my mother. I got to know things about her. You see yourself, and you see how you do things. Even at a young age, you don't know where these things come from, and then you get a chance to see where these things come from. It's an amazing experience. And she even was able to uh, get together, throw a birthday party for Kenneth, and got all the rest of her kids that were put in foster homes to come. So there's five of us total. And she was able to get us all in one roof one day. And as a 12-year-old, this was monumental for me. I felt whole. I had two families, essentially, but it, it felt right. It just didn't feel weird. I usually I'd tell the story to friends, and I usually kind of just gloss through, gloss through. But this part I usually I focus on because it felt right. I felt like a full-fledged person with my two families. So... Even though when the summer is up and I'm slated to come back to Virginia Beach, I wasn't, um, I wasn't upset. I wasn't sad to leave her. I was more excited because I, I felt like myself. As much as a 12-year-old can feel about themselves, I felt that way about myself. I felt I knew who I was, once again, as a 12-year-old, which sounds kind of stupid now that I say it out loud, but no big deal. So I, I come back, and she promises that she's going to do more to stay in contact with me, and I promise I'll do the same. And we both do. Uh, so come back in September. She calls me on the first day of school to see how things are going. Uh, my birthday is a couple weeks later. She calls me then. She sends me a card. My baby sister's birthday is a couple weeks after that. I call her, talk to my little sister, talk to her, you know, things are going. Months pass, and I don't really hear from her. And it's Thanksgiving, and there's no, no word from her. And it gets closer to Christmas, and I try calling, and the phone just rings and rings and rings. I get no answer from her whatsoever. I call, ring, no answer. I call, no answer. My parents would even ask me, like, hey, are you keeping in touch with Nancy? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I talked with her the other night. I hadn't talked to her. I hadn't talked to her since, since my little sister's birthday. It's the last time I talked to her in September. So we're at around Christmas time. My parents finally sit me down, and they tell me, that my older sister had gone by her house and the house was abandoned. And the neighbors and people who lived around there didn't know where she was or what happened to her. And I didn't want to believe them. You know, as a 12-year-old, you're like, no, man, there's just no way possible. So my mother's birthday is New Year's Eve. I finally decided I'm going to call her. I'm going to try one more time. The phone was disconnected. And that was, you know, a sign that I don't know where she is. So... I was crushed. And not only had I lost her, but I lost contact with, you know, my little si- my younger siblings. And I didn't know how to deal with it. And I went, I shut down. I shut down completely. I also, because I shut down, I was doing bad in school. They just, here, take some Ritalin, figure it out. And I shut down completely. And I, I stopped going to school. I was skipping school. I'd go to school and sleep in the bathroom, which is really gross. I don't recommend that for anybody, but that's how low I felt as low as a 12-year-old could feel at that time. 
essentially, because of that, that is why I failed eighth grade. Now, I kind of wish I could tell you guys this ends on a better note. This is still mostly a work in progress. I didn't have any contact with Nancy from that time I had told you about until I was 25. I'm 30 years old now. I didn't know where she was or anything about her for over 10 years. I still really don't talk to her to this day. She'll call, I'll see her number, and I won't pick up. The only thing I really know about her is her, um, my youngest brother and youngest sister found me on Facebook. I still don't know what happened to the other kids. And she'll call and ask how I'm doing, and I was like, I'm not here. Which I know is kind of messed up, and I know I'm going to have to resolve that issue one day, but I'm, I'm just not there. Don't judge me. Y'all don't know me like that. No, um, <laughs> I guess what I want to say is, and I don't know if I'm right, but this is exactly how I feel. I failed because of a cycle of disappointments. Just disappointment after disappointment as a child led me to failing. But I've kind of realized you can't let those cycle, uh, uh, cycles let you fail. You push forward. And it's probably best to open up and let people know, which I guess is what I'm doing right here, so hooray for me. But, uh, yeah, you just, you just push forward and you hope for the best. All right? Thanks, guys. If you'd like to come out and tell a story like this one or just enjoy the show, visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org, where you'll find a list of upcoming shows, contact and submission forms, and more Storyteller podcasts. I'm Deb Markham, producer of the show. Our live host is Brendan Kennedy. Amber Nettles, Evan Hartley, and Scott Rose provide production assistance. And Jenny Zell serves as our podcast consultant. Until next time, thanks for listening to Tell me more la